All right. Okay. Hey, so we have a little bit of content tonight. It can, I'm going to simplify this as much as I can, but I want to open up a topic that I think is of very much importance because today in our, in our religious circles, this is kind of a uh, confusing point, okay? So I want to kind of walk through it with you, and First Peter uh, kind of addresses predestination. So let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for our students. Lord, what a privilege it is to open the Bible, to learn your mind. We pray tonight you'd quicken us, strengthen us, give us understanding, that we may understand it so that we can minister it to someone else that maybe is lost or confused or doesn't know that they're a child of God, that they don't know their value. Lord, help us tonight to uh, take it personally, what you say, and then share it corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So would you believe we're in First Peter? Okay. James is like a blink, wasn't it? All right. So, the book of 1 Peter is written in Rome by Peter, and it's under great persecution. And the persecutor is Nero. Nero. And if you remember anything about Nero, he liked to burn Christians alive and on display. He was a very bad guy. So, this, this book is referring to... Christians under great persecution, and it's all about reassurance, reassurance that what they're believing is true and that God sees them, cares about them, and is with them, okay? So reassurance is a big word, all right? Now, we read that James was like the Proverbs of the New Testament, right? Remember that? This is the Job of the New Testament, okay? The Job of the New Testament. So, Peter is walking with Christ for three years, has watched the, the life and the demonstration of the living word, and he's going to bring this up to the Christians in Rome. So, he starts right out of the gate here, with a beautiful word called sanctification. So, um, and I want to give some terminology tonight because I, I believe according to the finished work gospel, when I say that word finished work, what do you think about? What are some things that come to your mind when you hear the finished work? The work is done. The work is done. Good. What else? John 19.30. It is finished, right? Good. Let's say you're talking to an unbeliever. What is the finished work? It's the ultimate sacrifice for who? All of us. Good. Key word, all. Very good. What else? Finished work. Think of a group of singers. Okay. That's going to really help an unbeliever. No, I'm just joking. You want to redeem yourself, Josh? Josh knows the finished work. He's a finished work preacher. Finished work. What do you think? Okay. So when someone hears that, 
they're skeptical. Why? We naturally want to do so. Exactly. Right, exactly. John 6.29, what is our work? It is to believe. That's a big word. To believe. Oftentimes people want to minimize that word. But to believe in him we've sent. So we see this in Hebrews 11.6. And then also John 6.29. The word to believe, to trust, to lean on, to rely on. Finished work. Tell me more. Tell me more. What else comes to your mind? The fin- Nick, yes. Okay. What's that say? Can you say it a little louder? I am ready to give life. Good. Are we in that verse? We're not in that verse. It's all first person Christ. Excellent. Good. What else? What else do we see? The finished work. Like a lot of us grew up in this ministry hearing that term, but it is a rare teaching. It's exceptionally rare because of what Josh just said. Man wants to uh, be involved and get the glory. And this, is, this word is important to understand when we think of the word sanctification. Okay. Finished work. Tell me more. How about this side of the room? Zoe. Okay. Okay. Be still and know that, that who is God? God is God. We just taught on that in Boiling Springs. That word to be still means to literally take your hands off of it. Totally take your hands off of it. Excellent verse. Good. What else could we say? Finished work. Andrew, what do you think? Finished work. Let's get a let's get a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. What do we you're all right, but let's go a little deeper. All right. Talk to me about that. Okay. Okay. Big word, eternal security. Big word. Do you realize that over half of Christendom does not believe? In eternal security. Actually, the number's higher than that. That's a tragedy. What else? Finish work, Joe. Sin and death defeated. Okay, good. Okay, our gospel is not a sin-centered gospel. It's a son-centered gospel. It's a Jesus-centered gospel. It is the emphasis on the cross. Cross, cross, cross. So... I want to look at this tonight because the finished work is that Jesus paid the debt. Big word, debt. What was the debt that we owed? What was the debt? Okay, the wages of sin is death, right? Death because of sin. Okay, so there was a demand for righteousness that the father needed to be satisfied okay, to pay this debt. And you and I could never satisfy this debt. And so the blood of Christ, which we're going to read about, paid all of the debt so that we could be ransomed. And these are good words. Ransomed 
rescued and renewed or remade. Okay? So our gospel is incredible because if it was, remember our, our illustration, this is you and me, right? If we had to earn it, that would be a tragedy. And if we had to keep it, that would be a tragedy. So the finished work is it, it all depends on the giver. It all depends on the giver, not the recipient. This is where our world has is upside down. They say statements like this. If, if that person was really saved, let's say they look at a habitual sinner and they say, if that person, is that person really saved? They judge the person based on their performance. That is not finished work. Okay. Uh, we just went through the book of James. Our works justify us because of the source is Jesus Christ. And the action of our faith is because Jesus loved us first, therefore we love. 1 John 4.19. Okay? The Christian world will also say stuff like this. I'm good, you know. Let's talk about my goodness. And uh, I'm not like that publican over there. He's really bad. But I'm pretty good. You know, I gave this illustration recently about a doctor... I don't know if I brought up in this class, a doctor worked on hundreds of patients. And we asked him, he said, we said, are you, do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? He goes, yeah, I've worked on hundreds of patients and uh, I don't kill, steal, rob, all the whole thing. Follow the Ten Commandments as best as I can. And then I would say, what about this guy on death row and uh, this murderer? Would you think he'd go to hell? Absolutely. I said, but he's called out onto the name of Jesus, and he has called, called him to be a savior. Does a person go to hell because mm -hmm. of their sin? Or do they go to the hell based on their performance? And this guy was like, he justified his salvation based on his works. Is that the gospel? Is that the gospel? Convince me. No, it's not the gospel. The gospel is that we've called out to the name of Jesus, and he has saved us. And this man on death row called out under the name of Jesus, and he has been rescued, ransomed, and remade. And that's the, the, the guiltiest person gets the most abundant favor. And I'll tell you, and you know this, grace is not logical. It's not logical. If I'm trying to process my Christian life based on my logic, and reasoning's good, weighing and inductive and deductive reasoning, it's good, but it's Christ. It's scandalous grace. It is absurd grace. It is relentless grace. It will never make sense to the natural man. And praise God. Isn't that good? How many are happy about that? Because if I had to earn it, how much is enough? And if I had to keep it, oh my Lord, what a mental gymnastics. If you think in your heart, if you fail in one point, you fail the whole law. The, the religious mindset is why so many Christians 
back off from God. They do not go forward in their Christian life, and they're miserable. So they meet you, a finished work, grace believer, and they're like, what, who, and where, and they're like, can't figure us out. And it's because the gospel is a gospel of Christ, and it's a gospel of Jesus plus nothing. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I know I've kind of said this a lot in this class, but this really is so valuable to have a conviction. If someone was to ask you about the finished work, have verses, have things in your heart that you can be, you can say, hey, listen, uh, this is really a gift from God, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? But, but what? What's the but in 623? But the gift of Joe, the gift of Sandin, the gift of Brandon, the gift that I can produce. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not by works of righteousness that I have done. Let's read 2.9. Let's read 2.9 for a minute. Read 2.9. This is so, maybe it's super Captain Obvious to you, but it is, not, it is not obvious in the religious system because so many are propping up themselves, their work, they're leveraging if they're doing enough. But 2.9, what's 2.9 say? Shout it out to me. Shout it out. Go ahead. Okay, not of works. Why? Come on, talk to me. Either my hearing aids are not working. I don't. I don't wear hearing aids. I'm just joking. Come on. Come on. I'm stoked about this tonight. Not of works. Not of works. So not of works. Those are the three most amazing words. Sorry, Joe. You say that in Christian circles today, they're going to be like. That's impossible. You've you got to work for your salvation. Grace alone, for by, for by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, through faith. Okay, through faith. It's not even my faith. Not of works. Okay, go ahead. Oh, bless anyone should boast. Okay. Good. You want to keep going? Is that it? Uh, that's verse 9. It's verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay. Good. More Christians, more the de-churched, the wounded, the hurt, the unchurched, all of it. So you have you have the unchurched, right? They don't know the gospel. They have no idea. You have the churched. Those that go to church, and God knows what they're receiving. If they're in a, if they're in a good ministry, it's Bible-centered. The de-churched, which is most of the American, the most of the American um, faith landscape, they've been hurt, or really, it's not that they've been just offended by the church, and that's a huge topic right there. So when you come. And your message is sun-centered, not sin-centered. Oh my goodness, it's like pouring honey on a sunburn. It's like pouring 
cold water on a dry soul. It's like, don't tell me uh, where I, don't tell me where I broke or fell apart. Tell me, rescue me about who Christ is. Ta- talk to me about Jesus. My message is Jesus. Right? My message is Bible. And I know you know this, but it's so valuable. Okay, I got to get into the text. Okay. I want us to be like, have conviction about it because you know what? Uh, there's a great exodus from the churches because, because it's a man centered Bible, a man centered gospel. People don't feel like they can do enough, be enough, achieve enough. And it's, uh, that's why people are like, you know, I have enough stress at work. I have enough stress in my family. I don't need to come to church and be stressed out, right? But we just preach the gospel, right? And God knows who are his, and we're not the, we're not the fruit police, right? Isn't that good? All right. So, we see the persecution here in verse 1. Now look at these words. Now these words are awesome. Verse 2. Okay. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now those words, I could spend the next year on them, but I want to unpack them because they're very, very important. Now... Um, let's look at Romans 8.29 together. Now, how many have heard this word predestination before? Okay. Now, this is a beautiful word in Romans 8.29. Really, who can read that? This is a very beautiful verse that helps us understand that God has foreknown us. Because he knows all things. But he has not preordained us. And this is a big point. There is a heretical teaching, and that's exactly what it is, in Calvinism, that says that God knew and preordains people to heaven, and God knows and preordains people to hell. Now, that might sound like a small potatoes, but that is a gigantic wrong. Imagine knowing the heart and nature of God, and God is saying, I'll save you, but I'll send this one to hell. I'll, uh, you go to hell because of your sin, and so you better get it right, you better get sanctified and set apart unto me and live right, and then maybe at the judgment we'll, we'll weigh it out. Okay, that's tragic. That's a tragic gospel. That's a tragic gospel. But our gospel is a whoso, whosoever will, whenever, and a whatsoever gospel. Granted, you start talking like this with the average Christian leader or person, uh, it'll be interesting to watch the eyes kind of grow. Okay? But we don't have a theology of apology. Our, our words come from the Bible. right? We have no opinion. We just have, we have the conviction. Okay, so 
So notice this. Let me just kind of, the elect, the chosen. This word is ekleomai. E-K-L-E-G-O-M-A-I. Okay? The elect, the chosen. It is to be put into a special category that is speaking to the redeemed, the born of God. This occurs after one believes in Ephesians 1.13. Okay? So, for instance, you walk into a room. This is the door. Okay? It says, whosoever will can come. That's at the door. And when you're in the room, you look back at the wall above, and it says the elect or the chosen. So who is the elect? Whosoever will may come. It's whosoever chooses and receives Christ as their personal Savior. Okay? This is important because some believe, like I just said, that there are people that God has predestined to hell, and that is totally wrong for 1 John 2, 2, which Jesus says, I've died for the sins of the whole world. Not just the good people, not just the people that respond to me, but people will go to heaven because they've chosen and accepted Christ as their Savior. And people will go to hell, unfortunately, because they reject God. Is sin paid for? Is sin paid for? Give me a verse. Okay. Okay. 10.10. Yeah, 10.14 is good too. There's a sacrifice once and for all. 10.14. What else? The whole chapter. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, very good. That's it. Okay. You want to read Colossians 2.14, Andrew? See, you are spiritual educators. You will help people out of their miserable pit for not understanding the character and nature of God in Scripture. It's like, I've got, that's, why the event, that's why the good news of the gospel is good news. Beautiful. Nailing it to the cross. And then the next word, he openly mocks the devil and strips away anything that would be an accusation against us. Okay, who's in Romans 8.29? Romans 8.29, who's there? Yes, Zoe. Okay, excellent. So the short answer to a very complicated discussion is there's only one person predestined, and that's Jesus Christ. What does that mean? God foreknew to send his son to do what? To rescue man, to die, to shed his blood, to not only rescue man, but to glorify man. And then when Jesus finished the work on the cross, it is finished There was a total satisfaction. 
so that you and I, in 1 Peter 2.9, are now called chosen generation. Now, someone might say, oh, that's for Israel. It's true. But it's for, it's directly uh, relating to the believer. So let me kind of unpack this a little bit more. Because sanctification cannot be clearly understood unless this is clear. Sanctification means we are progressively being conformed to the image of Christ. And this happens because we are set apart to Christ. So tonight you are learning the Bible. God will test you in life to appropriate what you've received. Okay. Remember, trials are meant to prove and temptation is meant to draw you away. So God does not, God does not tempt. He tries to prove and to work in the engrafted word of God. So the elect, the salvation. Okay, I want to kind of show you something here. Okay, uh, look at, okay, Romans 8.29 is clear. Let's look at Ephesians 1.4. And I want to kind of talk about this. Okay, who's who's got one four? Yes, Tim. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy without blame for his love. When did he choose when did he choose us? That's awesome. He chose us, he foreknew us. Did he preordain us? Did he take away our choosing power to choose him? Did he did he negate our free will and somehow we mystically fell upon the Lord and irresistibly had to respond to him? That's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. No, he knew us. And he and he John chapter 12, 32. We lift up the Son and we are drawn to him. We have a choice. That is one of the most precious gifts that God has given you and I. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of robots. God wants us to follow him based on love and not based on uh, ritual. Yeah, Aaron. And also it's like separate us from the religion because religion believes in the destiny of God. So that they just believe if it is something good happened, bad happened, they said that destiny. But we see that has been man has a free will. Okay. So that's the first institution that God gave man. So that's why we choose. We choose the God. God predestinates a choice, but we choose the salvation. Excellent. Good. All right. Let me let me just walk you through this just real quick, and you know this probably. So in there's two major ideas. There is Calvinism and Arminianism, and um, So with Calvinism, and, and I'll tell you, I, I don't know about you, I've had conversations where it breaks my heart. Pastor, I think I'm preordained to hell. I mean, imagine someone saying that. And we just say, okay, let's open scripture. What, where did you get that thought? Like, First John 3.20, if my heart condemns me, God, God is greater. Not my works, not my good intentions, not my 
prayers, and I'm like, God. So let's say someone goes off the wagon and they live like the devil. Let's say they get saved, and God knows who's saved and who's not. Let's say they go off the rails, they live a, a, a lifestyle of sin. Do, now, we say this, if, if they're truly saved, the Holy Spirit is convicting them, the Holy Spirit is pursuing them, the Holy Spirit is, is loving them. And the prodigal son is a great example. He remembered his father's heart and he returned. He repented. So, uh, you know, I am not qualified to say, is that person saved or not? That's not my business, right? We want to present who God is and therefore uh, God, again, knows who, who's our his. Now, some are think they're saved and then God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's another tragic thing where um, we could say a lot about that, where there was no real heart conversion. So, Calvinism, total depravity, okay, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Sounds good, doesn't it? So, for face value, some of these... Sound good, but they're not. So total depravity, which we believe in, but not like the Calvinists. And by the way, I'm not here to, to, to argue with Calvinists, but I need us to understand this because our message has to be clear. It has to be clear. Total depravity means I am so helpless and hopeless that I don't have the ability to choose God. Okay? Is that true or not? It's not true. Okay? So in context here, we believe in total depravity, that we need God, we need a Savior, and we can respond. But in this particular case, they believe that there's no choice. Unconditional election, again, we just said it, that God elects those that he has preordained those to be saved and those to be not saved. Okay? And that, again, that goes against every scripture where I think of a verse in Peter, I believe chapter 3, it says, God wishes that none should perish, but all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, okay? Limited atonement. This one's the most, this one, this one gets me hotter than a, it gets me <laughs> mad. Because it's, it's literally saying what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. And therefore, uh, some will be sitting, those Limited atonement, Jesus died for the elect and not everybody. Okay? Did Jesus die for everybody? Did he pay for the sins of the whole world? Yeah. It's kind of obvious, right? Yeah. It's amazing how much this is. Uh, that's why people don't go, go soul winning. They say, oh, God knows who's saved and who's not. I can just sit here and let God be God, right? No, no, how will they know if they don't have a preacher, right? Limited atonement. This is Jesus... Jesus uh, literally became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Irresistible grace. Here's another interesting idea. That God confronts you and you are overpowered and you have no choice. Again, there's no personal choice. No personal accountability. Right? Sounds good. When you dig a little deeper, and there's a lot to this, I'm very much just skimming over it. And then perseverance of the saints. This is another one. You know, it sounds good, but if you read these, if you read these verses, and unfortunately I don't have them handy, but if you preserve, you'll be if you preserve to the end, you'll be saved. That has nothing to do with salvation. 
This is talking about sanctification, which again, through trials and, and difficulties, we are being delivered and conformed to the image of God. This has nothing to do with salvation. None of these. This is where it gets perverted. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with sanctification. Okay? Does that make sense? So, the Armenians, same thing. They have very similar doctrines, but they believe you can lose your salvation because you have to maintain your faith. You have to, you have to uh, appease God. And it's that, that principle we said earlier. It's the keeping power. If you do this, if you blaspheme the Spirit, you lose your salvation. By the way, what is the sin of blasphemy? What is that? That cannot be forgiven. What is it? Rejecting the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that's what it is. That's why people go to hell. is because they say no to the gracious gift of God. So, uh, very, very, very important. So, the universalist says, everyone is born saved and no one can lose their salvation. No one will go to hell. Jesus loves everybody. That's nice, but wrong. Calvinism, God chooses a few people and compels them to be saved. And God has predestined all others to hell. I mean, doesn't that bother you? I don't know, I've been studying this. Maybe I'm just a little bit over, over, the, over my mind here. Arminianism, everyone is born with a sin nature and is therefore on their way to hell. God enables everyone sometime in their lifetime to understand the gift of salvation. He gives every person free will to accept or reject the gift. Sounds good, is it? A lot of their stuff is good, but there is no guarantee and uh, confidence of security. And Pelagianism, Pelagianism, everyone is born sinless. This went through the Ukraine in our church when, uh, years ago. Like you can eradicate your sin nature. Wow. Woo. Everyone is born sinless and therefore is saved and on their way to heaven. They have no need for a savior unless sin, if they sin in their life. <laughs> it's like, hello, we're born sinners. It's kind of humorous. So the big word I want you to know is God foreknows us. He knows the end from the beginning, but he does not preordain. It doesn't mean he's up there and you're on, he's like, he's like that ventriloquist. He's not there controlling your, your mouth and your actions and your decision. No, you are your own agent led by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that's beautiful. And this is why sanctification is incredibly beautiful, right? So, the next time you meet, you know, a Calvinist, you know, we can be gracious, but say, you know, that's just not the heart of God. I mean, Matthew 25, 41, hell was never made for man. Never made. And if you read Mark 9, it's pretty clear. Uh, 46 through 48, it is a, it is a nasty place. And it, and, um, by the way, 88 times in the Bible, it talks about heaven and, and two over 200 times it talks about hell. Hell is a literal place as well as heaven. And if the devil can lie to people, then hell is paved with good intentions. 
All right. So here's a good verse. John 6, 44 and 45. John 6, 44 and 45. So who's the elect? It's the chosen of God because they've responded to the grace of God. All right, so let's read this verse again. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit. It means in John chapter 3, verse 30, we are becoming more like Christ because we are walking in obedience. And then look at the fruit of this. So this is actually good. That means I, you and I, cannot change the economy of grace in our life. If we sin, the wages of sin is death, we will reap the consequences of sin. We will not experience the grace of God in our life. But we don't lose sonship. We lose fellowship, but not sonship. 1 John 1, uh, 7 through 9. Repentance, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Our message isn't even this, repent and be saved. That's not our message either. Because how can an unbeliever repent if they don't know who God is? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So you and I have a gospel that represents the heart of God, and it's the goodness of God, the character of God, who He is, that turns us into a place of repentance. Isn't that good? Repent and be saved. You tell that to an unbeliever, and they're like, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, they, they immediately go into this rationale. But when you walk through the debt that we owed God, and that Jesus came in Ephesians 2.1, like we just read, we were totally guilty, totally wrong, and Jesus did all the heavy lifting. That's, that's our message. Isn't that a good message? That not that good? How many like that message? It's, it's like we are a chosen generation. We are uh, really blessed people. All right, and then he says these amazing words. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. All right, the blood of Christ. Okay, and I want to walk through some words here because God knows everything, gives us a free will, gives us the ability to choose, he begs us to choose life, to not be conformed to the world, Romans 12.1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.2. What is our mission? Present our body. What is our action? To believe. <laughs> what, is our, what is our privilege? To obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel 15.22. So what are we saying here? Let's look at 1 Peter 1.19. The blood. The blood of Christ. You and I are cleansed and made new and the stain of sin is washed away. Look at this. Who wants to read 119? Let's go through a couple verses. Olu, do you want to read 119? First Peter, sorry. First Peter one nineteen, excuse me. Literal blood, eternal blood, 
perfect blood. Go ahead. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Okay, That's next one. Peter, Peter 1, yep, the next one. Mm -hmm. Right. Who buried it? It was four or eight before the foundation of the world, or was manifest in these last times. Who by him who is the living God? Okay. Raise him up from the dead. Okay. And give him glory that your faith and hope may be in God. Good. Notice who was foreordained. Who was that? Jesus. 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 And in Colossians chapter 3, we are hid in Christ. All right. All right. Let's look at Revelations 1. Let's quickly do this. The blood. The blood of Christ. You ever talk to somebody and all, all they can talk about is their sin? There is like a, a consciousness that we are an enemy of God. If people are really, if, if someone says, oh, I don't sin, they're a, they're a liar. First John talks about that. You say you've done this to sin, you're a liar, right? But in Revelation chapter 1, uh, look at verse... Five. Who wants to read that? Uh, Chelsea, go ahead. If you would don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Answer in six, I'm sorry. Beautiful. So he loved us and washed us from our sin. You see that? Loved you and I, a sinner, a holy God, should have nothing to do with a sinner, sent his son, and he becomes, he clothes us, he covers us. And today God sees only Christ in us. That's the finished work. That Christ is the very center and I am decentralized. You and I are you and I are decentral. Colossians 1.19. Let's look at it. How you doing? You good? Are you edified yet? It's good. This is good. Colossians 1. 19 and 20. Who wants it? Uh, Vanessa, can I call on you? You're good? Wait a minute. I'm just joking. Vanessa, can you do it? Vanessa? I'm sorry, not Vanessa. Um, oh, my Lord. Yes. Alyssa. Alyssa, excuse me. Colossians 1.19. In 20, I'm sorry. The blood of his cross has made peace. Ephesians 2.14, let's look at it. Who wants 2.14? Brandon, you want it? This is good news. Let's talk about the blood of Christ. Let's not talk about all these other things that this vain babbling and questions and 
The blood of Christ is what reconciles. It's the blood of Christ that washes. It's the blood of Christ that removes the accusation of the devil. Of course the devil is going to have a lot to talk about if we don't talk about the blood, right? Ephesians 2.14. You want to write it? However, for he himself is our peace and our bond of unity. He who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body and broke down the barrier, dividing wall spiritual antagonism. Spiritual antagonism. Ooh, I like that. All right, good. Josh, can you read uh, Romans 5.20? The blood, the blood. Of course the devil hates the blood. Why? Because the blood shuts his mouth every time. He overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So we're sanctified. We're set apart. We're made like Christ because Christ has fulfilled all of the demands, fulfilled all the debt, and today we believe in him and we live in the power of that. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Okay. Where are we? Josh. Romans 5. 520? Yep. Moreover, the law enters that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Beautiful. All right, Jehu, I didn't forget you. 1 John 1, 7. And I got one more, Acts 20, 28. Lennon, can you, Acts 20, 28. This is good. So how is it that they can obey? They have a revelation of the blood of Christ. They have a revelation of the sanctification of Christ. Remember, the source of our ministry is this. Here's you and I. We're, we're having a revelation of who God is, and the very action is ministry, right? That's our source, Ephesians 1, 17. That you, I pray that you have a spirit of revelation and that your eyes be enlightened to who God is. That's the most important thing we can teach in this Bible college. We can pound you full of knowledge, but it's the revelation that brings transformation. All right, where are we? Jehu. Yes. The blood of who? Jesus, right? Blood of Jesus, and then eight, verse eight and nine. You can go, you can read on. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good. So we we look at sin as 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 human beings, and we we kind of regulate what are, what are kind of light sins and what are heavy sins. Or, uh, and certainly different sins have different consequences. But sin is sin to God. And God says, I pay for them all. I pay for them all. Right? So good. Lennon, you want to read the last one? He purchased with his own blood. So, of course, <laughs> this is precious. This is incorruptible. Let, let's read back here in 1 Peter, and then we'll have a break. Right? 
the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Like, we're not going to be able to obey unless we have an understanding of who God the Father is and who are we in Him. Okay? And the sprinkling of the blood, grace and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope. There's so much dead, there's so much dead religion, you know? But with Christ, it's alive. Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Isn't that good? Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. And then he goes into the, these, the trials, right? The fiery trial, the momentous trial. And he quotes what James chapter 1 said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by multiple trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory of the revelation of Christ, whom having not seen you love, through now you do not see him, yet are believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right? Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what a manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before him the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them... It was revealed not to themselves, but to us. They are ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look upon. So, when we look at the man-centered religion, of course, it's all going to be about performance. Of course. But the finished work is all Christ-centered. It's what God did. It's what he is established. And this is our message. This is what we're being set apart unto. This is what we are being conformed into his image. Amen? All right, any questions on that? How many believe that? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're kind of wondering what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, and that's okay too. Any comments or questions on that? You all right? You got yes, Mariana. Oh, Joe, yes. Total depravity, like I understand what you're saying, but I thought that we believe in total depravity in the sense that we are totally depraved sinners in need of a Savior, but still have the choice. That is accurate. Right? That's absolutely accurate, yes. Okay, but that total depravity is saying that we're so depraved, we can't make it. Correct. Okay. Good, good clarification. That's absolutely correct. We are totally depraved. But our, we don't stop in depravity. Depravity shows our need for God, and then we worship Him. We respond to Him. And then He fills us. We put on the new man. Absolutely. It's, the, it's tough to minister to people that think they're okay. That's the tough ones. Yes, Chelsea. 
Yes. Okay. That's an excellent word. So the, that's, that's the movement we're in. Literally, they are pulling apart and analyzing the traditions of our faith. That's what's happening. We're in this age. And this is why people are leaving churches and going back into liturgical messages or back into Catholicism. I've met many Christians going back to Catholicism. I'm like, why on earth would you do that? And it's because of that. They're deconstructing. They're analyzing their faith. They're pulling it apart. They're uh, dismantling it. And they're making uh, um, a natural conclusion. Because they've either been disappointed by the church. And by the way, let me just tell you straight up. Our faith has got to be bigger than a church. we got to have it. I love our church. Personally, this is my church home. I'm just saying, unfortunately, people will fail you. I hate to say it. It's reality. My faith has got to be bigger than my church. It's got to be in the Bible. Because the size of my faith in God is going to be the size and faith of my gospel. Right? How I handle people in failure tells a lot about how God handles me in failure. God is abundantly mercy, abundantly gracious, abundantly uh, uh, loving. I'm not. I want to put the person on trial. I want to put that person on probation. I want, to, I, want to, I want to crucify that person. And God says, that's why I'm God and you're not. Right? Thank God. But deconstruct, that's a big word. And it's happening a lot. They're challenging the, 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 um, the bedrock of their faith. You know, I had to talk to a guy recently. So I believe part of the Bible, and I don't believe this other part of the Bible. I don't believe the Bible's inerrant. I don't believe the Bible. I believe the Bible has error and contradiction. That's part of the deconstructive idea, is they're analyzing things based on their own ideas. And it's dangerous. The Bible interprets the Bible, right? Amen? And what's the big word in hermeneutics? What's the big word, Nupu, in hermeneutics? That helps us with interpretation. Or who? I'll buy you a coffee if you get this word. Big word. Oh, look at all these hands. Sell them, sell them. Yes! Man, I owe you a coffee. Yes! Context! Oh my living Lord! This is hermeneutics 101. Who is, who is it? I owe you a coffee, maybe more than that, but who was being said to for what purpose and, and for what reason? Good Lord. We have seven of these uh, dispensations in the Bible that declares who God is. And we can easily take different pieces. I got a break. Oh, my goodness. Different pieces and, and make this doctrine that does not reveal what's called full mention which is God's full thought throughout the whole Bible. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. So good. We got a break. All right. You're just so much fun to talk to. I can go another hour here, right? All right, Father, bless our break in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Woo. Good. Good, good, good. All right, gang.
You mean Timothy? No, Paul. He's given the defense being an apostle because they were challenging him. Mm. Acts for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let me let me just um, let's look back at first Peter together. Um, so I want to bring up a point. I want to bring up a point about obedience. Okay. And when you read about obedience in first Peter one, two. It is speaking about comes from the word listen. Okay? It comes from the word listen. So it's like when your parents say, listen to me. Right? It's the same principle here. The elect pay attention to what God says and they obey it. Okay? Let's look at verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So Peter is again reminding these saints that I know it's tough. I mean, we can reflect back on the church of Smyrna in the book of Revelations um, that hold fast to to your reward. Uh, Don't let anyone take your reward. And then he goes into some interesting things here. Uh, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Okay. All our action is because of God acting first. Okay? All our actions are based on God acting first. Okay? So we purify your souls in obeying the truth. This this is the beautiful exchange, isn't it? So we just read that we're chosen. We're set apart. We're made holy. Made holy. Ephesians 4.24, we put on the new man which is created in righteousness. So it's not me trying to be holy to be accepted by a holy God. It's you and I receiving the holiness of God, trusting in the holiness of God, thanking God that he is holy. That changes us to be holy. Make sense? We're made righteous by the blood of Christ. Made righteous. Grace and peace are multiplied in our life. There's abundant mercy. This is what happens. Like our life is transformed from a big do, 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 do to a big done. And that doesn't make that doesn't mean we're sitting on our hands, you know, chugging Coca-Cola and Doritos. No, it means we're out actively sharing and yeah sorry Josh but and he, he goes on to say that I mean he, he goes on to say this um, in chapter 2 uh,
And did I miss? Uh... Okay, I'll find it in a minute. But the idea is that God is doing this action, and it's the Spirit of God that's fulfilling uh, our work, right? Like, I love Job 23, I believe it's verse 19. He will, he will do what he's appointed us to do. Abundant mercy, adoption. You and I were orphans, left for dead. And God says, I don't need you, but I want you. I want fellowship with you. I want you as my son. Lively hope. This is 1 Peter 2.9. This is our new identity. We have an eternal inheritance. We are guarded in faith. And we are rejoicing in God. Isn't that amazing? And he's saying here, listen. We're thinking obedience is application. But if how many parents do we have here? Like your kid first has to listen to you, right? Right? So if we're listening to God, knowing in who he has made us to be, then the, the effect is action and obedience, right? Okay, notice this, 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim yourself. How about radical individualism? Radical individualism. It's like my way, my opinion. And a lot of people get messed up because they lose the spiritual community because they're so self-oriented. God is saying, you are, you are here to proclaim the praises of me who's called you out of darkness into marvelous light who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who has not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Okay, great, great reference there to Israel. Okay, so let's, so let's just look back to chapter 2 for a minute, verse 1. Because it, again, it starts to go into conduct, okay? Okay, therefore, as in because you know what God has done, the outcome should be different. Therefore, lay aside... All malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a lively stone, rejected in, indeed by men. And this is the fact of our faith. People are not going to uh, all receive him. But instead we see, even though these, they're rejected by men, it is chosen by God and precious, valuable, extremely expensive. That's why grace is not cheap. Like, grace is exceptionally expensive. And we've always said this, that mercy shows us the costliness of grace. What you and I have been saved from, a revelation of that, is like, wow. Thank God I have a new beginning. Thank God I'm made righteous. Thank God it's a work of God. It's amazing. And we we're built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, and then he goes on to say again uh, in verse uh, 7, again, the builders rejected Christ. 
Psalm 118, they rejected him, but God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and let me just say this. The reason why people are so messed up is they're looking for something else other than God to meet their needs. And guess what? There is no other answer. It's Christ or not. I mean, it's, there's no other way. I mean, Nick um, gave that beautiful verse at the beginning, John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What did the devil say? You know, he had, he had the I wills. But God had the I am's. Big difference. Big difference. All right. All right, look at verse 11. So we're talking here about maturity. Okay? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. And that is a, that's a class all in itself. My flesh will war against the Spirit. It will fight God every time. Right? This is why it's good to... Convictions are settled truths. Convictions are settled truths. I don't need to pray about going to church. It's settled. Let's say I don't feel like going to church. Or I don't feel like opening my Bible. I don't feel like forgiving my neighbor. Well, it doesn't matter what I feel like. It's what, what does truth say. And if I've made that decision in my heart, then it's we choose, here's a good verse, we choose to our own hurt. Psalm 15, 4, we say, this is what God, this is what God's will is, and I choose to my own hurt. All right, so we're talking about maturity here. Uh, I wish I could find the verse, but I can't. Okay, maturity. Let's, let's look at maturity here for a minute. I want to read some scripture. So we talked about testing, right? We talked about the fiery trial. Momentum test. Anybody had any of those? What's a momentum test? Okay, there's consistent testing. But momentous test. Anybody heard that term before? Okay, a momentum test is when you're tested on every side. Everything is tested. And it's designed to create momentum in your life. So let's say your health is tested. Let's say your faith is tested. Let's say your friendships are tested. Okay? You just feel like it's on every side. It's very important in those times to not analyze yourself, but to remember who Christ has made you to be. Because that test is not to destroy you. It's to build momentum. It's to mature you. Okay, and I want to look at these scriptures here. These are important scriptures, and I just wrote them here on the board. Okay, 2 Samuel 7, 21. Why are we tested? It's for the word's sake. And according to your own heart, hast thou done all these things, and make thy servant know him. Why are we tested? Because the word... It's for the word's sake. It's to prove what God has said is true. God is not up there with nothing to do throwing rocks at you and I. No, it's to prove that he is faithful. It's to prove that what he says is real. It's to prove the engrafted word of God becomes 
something real. The reality of God is made personal. Isaiah 66, 5. We are uh, tested for his namesake, which means we are tasting what Christ went through. And, and we just read Isaiah 53. We are, has anyone ever said this to you? And I, I don't know if I like it or not. Like, let's say you're going through a difficult time and someone says to you, well, uh, how would they say it? They say like, uh, endure hardness as a good soldier, which I love that verse, right? But sometimes people might say, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how to say it. They, they, would, they might say, well, Jesus went through more than what you're going through, so suck it up, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. And it's like, I mean, I get that. I mean, I get that, but it's like, where's the identification, right? I mean, was Jesus having a party on the cross? No, he wasn't. But we're, we, are, we are suffering for his namesake, the name of God. It's like we're tapping in and identifying it says this, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye tremble at his word, you brethren that hated you and cast you and put, and put for my name's sake, saith the Lord, to be glorified, and ye shall appear to your joy, and ye shall not be ashamed. Isn't that amazing? Okay, Mark 4.17. We suffer for his word's sake. Again, Job was a righteous man. But at the end, he was a worshiper. Job 42, 11, I think it is. I heard with my ears, and now I see with my eyes. That's what happens in a trial when we go positive to God. How about this? 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, with much assurance, as you know what manner of men were among you, for your sake. And in verse 14, even if you do suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Isn't that good? So why are we tested? Yes, it's for maturity, but it's also to make the word personal, make, make the work of God something that is real in my life. You know, pastor said this at one point. He said, we suffer not for our sake, but we suffer for others. And that's very true. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's you and Christ, then there's a special, there's a special um, impartation of truth. All right, let's look at 1 Peter 2 for a minute. 1 Peter 2. So there's just suffering and unjust suffering. Okay? Who wants to read that? Yeah, let's look at... He starts to use the word submit. All right? Verse 13, submission, which is the word glad surrender, hupomeno, to come under the authority of God. Right? Submission. Like a man should never tell that to his wife. Honey, you better submit. Right? Wives should submit to their husbands. Like a man that has to say that has lost all, all authority. Right? 
glad surrender. We submit, come under the power of the work of Christ in each other. Okay, so let's look at this for a minute. Who wants to read four, uh, let's, verse 13? Through 21. Who's a good reader? Who wants to read that nice and loud? All right, Gerald, go for it. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. Unjust suffering and just suffering. Go ahead. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, and to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good men may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservice of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants, be, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering, or wrongly. For that credit it is, if when you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently, patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. One more, yeah? Yeah? For to this you were, you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Beautiful. Okay. So unjust suffering and just suffering. What's the difference? What did we just read? What's the difference? Aaron. You go your way. Your, your, and you... If you're like, you didn't submit the government, you didn't submit the authority, the authority that God showed you, you just speak it, you try to speak it, and then of course there's going to be consequences. Uh huh. So that's the kind of. That's so like, that's just suffering. Yeah, just suffering is I suffer because I did not obey. Unjust suffering is what? Right. It's we suffer for the word's sake, righteousness sake, your sake, Christ's sake. So he's saying here, if you do well in your suffering persecution, then that's the will of God. And God will be patiently working in your life and sanctifying you to himself. But if we're sinning and purposely uh, falling into the flesh, then there will be that corrective measure where God will allow things to turn us around. Okay? So he's saying here just, and he quotes this very interesting verse, and it's the same thing that's written in Proverbs, also in the book of Proverbs, honor, verse 17, honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. I believe that's in Proverbs chapter 30. Isn't that amazing? This is what Proverbs says, same thing. So when difficulty comes into your life, it's meant to bring maturity, okay? Maturity. Now, why is maturity important? 
Why is maturity important? We know God. But what's the what's the fruit of maturity? Love. Obedience. There's a word though. Depth. God brings you deep. Things become personal. There's power now in your life. Like for instance, you can hear God loves you a thousand times. But when you go through a trial, you get to know the God who loves you when you have when you're unlovable. And then it's like, oh my gosh. Now it's not just knowledge anymore, now it's revelation. Experience. It's experience, exactly. So this is why we have to go through things because uh, we only know it in part. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. We only know things in parts. All right, let's look at, I want to show you one interesting verse here. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. You guys good for another few minutes? You good? You're doing awesome. I know it's 10 o'clock or almost 10 o'clock. But it's all, it's all good. Second Corinthians 8, 2. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Whoa. Let's read that again. In their great trial. Not at the end of the trial, but in it. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. That's enough to, you know, be depressed. Abounded in the riches of their liberality. Which means... God was giving them way beyond what they could um, even understand. I want to give you a term here that I want you to think about. Pastor Jason? Because our world is full of this. Yes? What what the last part of that verse, can you define what that's saying? Yes. So he's saying, even in difficulty, God has given great freedom, great liberality, great um, carefreeness, because they're in the situation, but the situation doesn't have them. Somebody might say, I have cancer, but cancer doesn't have me. This is what he's saying. The ministry of the Spirit is they have abundance of joy. Even in deep poverty, they're rich. That's awesome. This is what Christ is doing in our trials. And he's giving freedom. Instead of hiding and and just kind of being low and like, God is like, you're free to move and do and exercise who I am. Isn't that good? Does that make sense? All right. I know this is a lot going on tonight. You guys have been excellent. Let me just say, we have to be careful not to have feelings form us. Don't let feelings form you. But we must be conformed. And if you look at the word conformed from the word co, which means another person. Okay? This is rampant. I feel, therefore I am. 
I feel, therefore it's true. I don't feel safe today. That must mean I'm not safe. Feelings form a lot of thinking. And this is something we have to be very careful of. So let's say we're in an unjust situation of suffering. Let's say some bad things happen to godly people, right? Why? So that Christ might be formed in them. And what is amazing is whatever happens to you and I, God will be faithful to give what we need and go above and beyond. But if my feelings are forming or making decisions for me, now feelings don't think, right? This is a whole nother, this is a whole nother thing. They just emote, right? But if my feelings are forming me, if they're coming to conclusions, then it'll be something that will be, you know, devastating. But we are called to be conformed, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. It means you and Christ, the word co, co-formed or co to be joint heirs with Christ and be, we are literally becoming like Christ experientially. Does that make sense? So what would be an example of being formed, uh, feelings forming us? What would be an example of that? Gender fluidity. Okay, beautiful. I wouldn't say that. I mean, that's not beautiful, but gender fluidity, right? I feel like a girl today, so I'm a girl, right? Emotions, my emotions, emotional mutiny. Condemnation, I feel condemned because I couldn't please someone, right? What else? Feelings forming us. Yes, Joe? So I feel alone, therefore I must be alone. Excellent. Very good. Brilliant. That's what I'm talking about. What else? What else are we saying? What are we saying? Let's... What? Anybody else? Nick? Say again? Bitterness. Bitterness. Excellent. Very good. What's a good verse on bitterness? Hebrews chapter 13, right? Be careful of that, right? Be careful of bitterness. I believe it's in verse 8. Is that right? 13, 8? Or 12, excuse me. Uh, what's the verse that says, the anger of man does not lead to God's righteousness? Mm-hmm. Anger. Okay. Anger. Good. Remember the baggage, the internal baggage becomes the external war, right? Good. We're going to end with this. Uh, this is a big one. Don't let feelings form you. The greatest lie, if people really knew me, they'd want nothing to do with me. That's the greatest lie. God knows exactly who we are, and he loves us, right? My future, I have no hope. There's all this distress in young people's lives because of the pandemic. And I just read recently suicides for kids between the ages of 10 and 14. It's like up like 400%. It's like strange. Why? Their feelings are forming their conclusions, and they're all 
They're all lies. It's like God is, my future is as bright as the promises of God, right? I mean, Joe, you know the stats. I mean, suicide is through the roof today. I've never, I've never counseled believers as much as I am recently where they struggle with suicidal thoughts. And that's a real thing, and, and we, we want to help people that struggle, despair, right? God is saying, this test is going to make you more like me, so don't give up. I will be faithful. I will be faithful, and I will add to your life much more than you can imagine. Amen? Okay, precious Father, thank you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for our students. Lord, thank you for the first and second chapters of Peter. Help us to find you in our difficult times and to remember that you are bringing us deeper. We're going to look more like you. We're going to sound like you. We're going to act like you through these times because you're chiseling away everything that doesn't look like you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you.